You're listening to First Fossil. together how to take that first fossil toward becoming the best versions of ourselves. My name is Candace Olushala and today we're discussing the novel coronavirus from the perspective of professors and lecturers in different colleges, grad schools, and professional school programs across the U.S. And the reason why I'm doing this episode is because I think there's been a lot of misconceptions, a bit of confusion about what educators have been going through and how they've been affected, what has actually happened in their transition process, how they're thinking about it, and a whole bunch of other things. So although we've all been thrown into this and it all feels like we're all going through the same thing, it hasn't been the same for everyone. And so I wanted to shed light from the educational standpoint. And I'm really curious to hear what today's educators have to say about what they're going through in their personal experience. So I have five educators with me and I'll let each one of them introduce themselves in just a minute. But first, I just want to welcome them to the show. So hi guys, welcome to First Basso. How's everyone doing today? Great, Candace. Good. You guys are from different schools and different types of programs and so I'm really glad that we're going to get a wide variety of topics and different discussions, different angles on how this has been for educators Um, because I've been seeing a lot of opinion out there and you know it's coming from the standpoint of people who are not in the education system so thank you guys for being willing to kind of shed light on some of the things that are happening in a wide variety of sectors in the education system. How about you guys go around and each introduce yourselves and say your name, what your institution is, where that school is located, and what you teach for that institution. All right, thanks, Candace. Um, I am Jennifer Daddiesman. I teach at the University of Kentucky in Lexington, Kentucky, in the United States. My official title is lecturer in biostatistics. I teach two undergraduate biostatistics courses each semester. There's a 200 level intro to biostats course and a 300 level analytics course. And actually both courses are flipped. So the lectures are online and then class time is devoted to in-class activities. So it's not a traditional statistics class like you would think of. Nice. I'm Grace Lozon. I am a board-certified music therapist. I teach at West Virginia University in Morgantown, West Virginia, United States, and I teach first-year introductory music therapy courses, and I'm also a practicum supervisor for music therapy students at the pre-intern level. Um, Occasionally, I will also supervise interns, but right now, internships are stalled (laughs) uh, for unique reasons. But yeah, other than my main music therapy job, those are the courses that I teach. Awesome. Thanks, Grace. Howdy. I'm Anthony Bosman. I'm an assistant professor of mathematics at Andrews University in southwest Michigan. I teach a variety of math classes, everything from the gen ed um, intro to math classes to some of the more advanced upper level math classes for our math majors. And I also really enjoy working with our undergraduates doing research projects in low dimensional topology, which is my research area. Nice. Thanks. Hello, I'm uh, Hassan Ahmad, and I'm an adjunct professor at George Washington University at their campus in Ashburn, Virginia. Uh, and I uh, teach an introduction to health IT class as part of their undergraduate uh, program there. Thanks. And lastly, I'm Melody Ryan. I'm a professor at the University of Kentucky College of Pharmacy. And I'm also the brand new assistant provost for global health initiatives at the University of Kentucky in Lexington. So, pleasure to be here, Candace. Nice. Thank you guys so much for your introductions and sharing a little bit about what you guys do in your um, in your universities. So, let's start off with kind of talking about how we, you know, announcement, 
novel coronavirus pandemic, everyone needs to leave the schools. So I just want to understand how that process worked for you guys. What was going on? What season of the semester were you guys in? And just like kind of walk me through your different perspectives. Hassan, do you want to start? Sure. So, um, so I teach just the one class part of the spring 2020 semester. And so it's an in-person class. And so we're starting the class and then pretty much right as we started is kind of when the, the talk had started to come of, of COVID-19 and everything that's happening. And so about, uh, it's an eight week class and we meet twice a week. So after the first week, two class sessions, we basically got an email saying that um, in the next few weeks, we're gonna have to transition to an online class. Uh, so I started to prepare the students and let them know. And then pretty much by the second week, uh, after I had had uh, two more class sessions, they actually bumped up the date even earlier, and then we had to go to online classes right away. So I only had two weeks of in-person class sessions, and the other six weeks were then online after that. So it was a pretty quick turnaround. I just just started to get to know the the, the faces to my students' names, and then had to go through that that transition pretty quickly after that. Ah, that's a lot to to <laughs> figure out, and I see like. I'm sure you guys probably went through something similar. Was it was it the same for you guys at Andrews? Yeah, so fortunately, we got in 10 weeks of in-person instruction before we went remote. And so I was able to have about two-thirds of my class in person. So I felt like I had to really connect with them, bonded with them. Um, but I do remember the week we transitioned and just how rapidly it happened. And it was on a Tuesday that we had our first reported case of coronavirus in the state of Michigan. That same date, the governor declared a state emergency. The next day, that Wednesday, we declared we would be going online. That Friday, we started our spring break. And so we just didn't come back from spring break. All the students went home from spring break. Um, some stayed in the dorms, a small number, but they went home and from spring break, we moved to remote instruction. And so that last week of classes, preparing to go on to spring break, preparing to, to move to remote was um, quite rapid. It was quite disruptive. It felt like every couple of days, there was a whole new imagining what the semester would look like. Um, but fortunately, I was able to get in a good 10 weeks with the students before we moved to the remote education. Wow. Okay, man. Melody, how was that for you guys at the College of Pharmacy? Because I think you guys were, and I think, Jen, you guys were also going on spring break at that time. So what was going on there? Yeah, exactly. So we had a very similar uh, situation to Andrews University and that we had um, everyone went home on Wednesday and never came back. Okay. So um, we have students all over the, the country and in some cases the world doing remote learning with uh, basically we went to that overnight. Um, so I, I think we were fortunate in that we had about a week to really think about how it was going. I can tell you for me, because I had a couple of administrative positions in the college, that week was full of meetings nonstop oh. morning to night yeah. on Zoom. Yeah. into the night yeah. <laughs> on Zoom yeah. the entire week. Yeah. Um, and that didn't let up till about two weeks ago. I feel like I've been rooted to a Zoom meeting. Wow. Okay. Jen, was that similar for you too? Similar, yes. Yeah, we got the notification the week before spring break. I think it was Wednesday, Tuesday maybe. It was right before spring break that we were going to be online. It was originally announced for the two weeks after spring break. And then a few days later, they switched it for the entire semester. So the last time I saw my students was right before spring break in person, okay. I should say. So we left for spring break and that was it. There, there it was. We all switched to online, very similar. But again, lucky to have those uh, first that first half of the semester with the students in person. Yeah, yeah. Grace, what was, what was going on for you? Very similar. So... Uh, spring break was the week after things have happened. It was mid-March. And actually, faculty and students received the same email notification at the same time. Oh. So we had no advance notice. So the rest of the music therapy team and I scrambled to get a base contingency plan in place. And we shared it with our students the next day. We went over everything that's happening, what we know. Our, our contingency plan. And the students really appreciated that we had something in place because 
uh, one of my freshmen actually said, you're the first professor that I've heard actually has a plan. I'm like, well, we're music therapists. This is something we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, not to say anything bad about the rest of the WVU Music Administration, but it's, it, it, it's hard because how do you do online music? Right. How do you do that? And so what WVU actually did, they had regular spring break, then we added an extended spring break because we did not know at the time if we would not be allowed to come back to campus. So it was meant to be a sort of a pseudo quarantine. And then the announcement was made that all learning would go to remote. So again, yes, it did buy us some time to revise the syllabi, but at the same time, it pushed some assignments forward and we lost a week. So for the assignments we had, they kind of got crammed in together. And so thinking about how to redesign some portions of the course. Um, something else that I did was I sent out a survey to my students just to see, do you have access to internet? If you're using a smartphone, do you have data restrictions? Do you have all of your basic needs? Do you need access to counseling? Are there any um, other measures we can take, like transcripts of lectures, um, synchronous meetings, things like that? Um, so that's what I did in that extended spring break to kind of prepare and have things ready to go in case of an emergency. Okay. That we had a similar experience of extending that spring break by a week, okay. which um, was good because it gave the faculty more time to prepare to go remote. Mm -hmm. So um, I spent some of that time building a studio so I could do recordings and put out some high quality uh, recordings for my students. Right. And it was kind of fun as, you know, someone interested in pedagogy, I'd always wanted to have a nice studio where I could make these light board recordings and, right. and do these cool math, math talks. Um, but the, the challenge with that is it meant that um, we kept having to redesign our curriculums because going into spring break, I redesigned my classes for five weeks left of remote learning. And then I found out a few days later, we'd have four weeks of remote learning. So you redesign your classes again. And then once you go remote, you figure out it's not what you expect. So then you have to redesign all your classes a third time while they're happening to troubleshoot all that's going on. And so I know many faculty, it's like, you know, it's, it's enough trouble to design your class once for the semester. We design it two or three times while the semester is taking place. I'm overwhelmed just hearing that. Cause, you know, as someone who's, you know, taught and had to lesson plan and not knowing the ins and outs of even internet. I have a lot of professors who aren't very tech savvy by themselves. So the idea of them also having to figure out how to put it all online, figure out how to like add all these extra pieces to make sure every student gets what they need while they're gone. And then not knowing if the information is going to change as the pandemic progresses. So hats off to all of you and your colleagues for going through this. Um, you and Grace are talking about having students who have to do internships and rotations and how this affects them. How was that for you trying to process not only getting the classwork stuff, but also probably trying to help students who needed to do their practicums or their internships or their rotations in order to graduate? Because I'm sure that was chaotic as well. Um, indeed it was. Um, so we were fortunate in that many of our preceptors pulled out all the stops to keep our students still on rotation, whether that was having remote discussions with them or doing journal clubs remotely. The ones that were in community pharmacies, of course, they actually needed more help. So they were delighted to have people as, as people tried to get more prescription. But then you know, we had a number of institutions that said that student learners couldn't be present anymore. So, so that was a big challenge. Our experiential team worked no kidding around the clock for two weeks wow. uh, and are still getting uh, institutions that are pulling people. So um, that has been a, a big, big challenge. With my involvement in international education, I feel like it was good and bad. Um, I mean, it was bad, of course, that students had to be pulled from international locations. Luckily, none of my students, but uh, that team also worked around the clock to get those folks home. The good part about that was because I was carefully watching the international situation. I felt like I had about a month lead time on everyone else. Like I had my toilet paper case of toilet paper ordered a month before anything became in a shortage here. Um, 
So uh, from that standpoint, I felt like I had a little bit of a heads up. I was anticipating we might be on quarantine. But of course, it's super disappointing to students who are planning to study abroad this year that they're not getting to go. So um, we're trying to shift to some virtual international experiences. And uh, actually, I've spent the better part of the last week putting together a COVID-19 course um, to look at country responses to the, the pandemic. That is cool. So I'm trying to make some uh, lemonade out of lemons here. Yeah, yeah, that's innovative and a lot of work, but kudos for even thinking about something like that. And especially with the pharmacy program, I'm sure that's like, I would be eating something like that up like candy. Like that sounds so fun in the midst of learning about medicine. So, um, but you, Grace, you have, you also have students who are having to do practicums and whatnot. Uh, Yes. So if anyone doesn't already know about music therapy, in order to reach the point of internship, and then after that, passing your board certification exam, you do have to have a certain number of hours before going into internship. Um, And those hours come from time in the classroom, specifically devoted to clinical foundations, techniques, approaches, and then also field work, clinical work, where you are supervised by uh, a music therapist. And so I had um, some students working at the clinic that I operate. And, and for actually the whole class, they all had to be pulled from their sites because number one, telehealth services were not set up there yet. <laughs> and that's something else that has been um, another journey. I actually did a guest lecture on, on telehealth for our practicum class because that's something I'm using uh, in my clinic. But no telehealth, um, no in-person services for the safety of the clients and for our students, it would be a liability. So we've had to come up with alternate assignments that are still within the realm of what our national organization says can count as ours. Because we're restricted, you know, we can't try and cheat the system. You know, if if you watch a telehealth video, that doesn't count for clinical hours, sorry. So unfortunately, our senior students are going to be low on hours. They're going to get the short end of the stick. So trying to figure out how we can support them moving forward in the fall. Because in the best case scenario, we could say, well, that's all right. We'll do summer practicum. Nope. (laughs) Can't do that either. Right, right, right. (laughs) So it's been a challenge to make sure that we're still giving them the highest quality academic therapeutic content and that they're still learning but within the parameters of our national organization. Because it is really hard with music therapy when so much of it is done in person with interpersonal connections. You know, that experience is different. How much are they really learning from it? Same with doing things in the classroom. I know a few of us beforehand were talking about experiential learning. When that's taken away, you know, how does that change the, the learning outcome? and their concrete understanding of things. Right. It's different to see someone else write out something on the board as opposed to you doing it yourself. Right. We had a similar challenge with um, labs and the sciences. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so much of the scientific labs are hands-on. And when we went remote, a lot of what it looked was just recording the professor doing the lab, right? So it's a video. It's just not the same, Um, but... Uh, now that we're, as we're going into summer, we have a number of summer classes, like summer physics that we're teaching. And we've been able to think through it a little bit more carefully. And I'm really impressed with what the physics department have done. They've um, decided to mail out lab kits to every student. So about uh, $200 they spent on for each student on lab supplies they sent out to each student. And the result is the number of students in our summer physics actually doubled. And so we were afraid nobody would want to do physics online because how do you do with the, fat, the labs? But they seem to have figured out a way um, to do it. And I don't think it's quite the same as the on-campus experience, but it's still going to be better than just recordings of watching someone else do the experiments. Yeah. So, Anthony, one thing I've been wondering about regarding labs, because, of course, we have them as well, is um, thinking about when we do resume class, if we have to use social distancing and so on, um, would it be possible to use some like gamification, some esports kind of techniques so that they could practice techniques at home or practice experiments at home and then when they came in, maybe you wouldn't need so much actual hands-on time in the lab. 
Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a really neat idea. And there's some cool platforms that do things like this. Um, it's just those platforms take quite a bit of investment. And so that's where the uncertainty of the situation comes in. If we know we're going to need social distancing protocols for the next two or three semesters, then we're going to make the investment. It, it's the question of when you don't know, you don't know if it's worth it or not, right? So the, I think the uncertainty um, is what um, compounds the difficulty of solving all of these problems. Wow, that is, that is great. That is so innovative. The things that you guys are starting to pick up on and realize, I, I hope that the things that are being figured out during this season are not thrown away once things are kind of back to a normal where everyone's actually in the classroom setting, but all of those different techniques kind of are used to help broaden how we're teaching our classes in person you know um with you know all of these changes you're having to process things how is that just affecting your day-to-day life like I mean you guys are professors in a regular day you guys are lesson planning you guys are teaching you're having office hours you also have a life outside of school when you're not doing all those things. What, how has that affected you guys personally that maybe students wouldn't necessarily realize from that perspective? How about um, you, Jen? Well, I am an introvert by nature, which when I, I've told my students this and they think I'm lying because I get up in front of them and talk I also reveal to them that I'm extremely shy. Like none of you can see me who's listening to this podcast. The rest of you all can, but I am turning red because I don't like talking in front of people. I don't know, but with teaching it's different. And so the, the way I decompress is as I'm walking to and from class, I'm mentally preparing myself walking to class. I'm decompressing walking back from class. It's, a time for my brain to process what's happened. And I don't have that with Zoom calls. I don't have that with Zoom class. So just in my experience, going from Zoom class to Zoom office hours to basically lunch, I mean, that's my entire morning, some mornings, is just completely fatiguing in a way that I never thought it would be. And I know the students are probably going through something similar if they have to attend class multiple times in a day via Zoom. So, I mean, that's really been my personal experience is just trying to find a way to have those moments. And so I've, what I started doing a few weeks into the semester when I figured this out was just taking the time I would normally take to walk to class. I'd start up Zoom and just put my away up and I would take a walk around my apartment or I'd go do something else. And that helped with that mental thing that even though I wasn't physically walking to the classroom or walking back after, that's what I would do. And it really helped with that sort of transition. Like I'm getting ready to go sit on Zoom for class now. Yeah. That, that was the biggest change for me was just the amount of mental fatigue that happened. Yeah. How about you, Hassan? Because I know you, I know you don't just teach, you have your own podcast. So it's not like you don't have side projects that you can you can't work on or whatever to kind of fill in the space but even with that it's it's still different so how are you how have you been processing it for yourself and transitioning yeah definitely it was a um an interesting challenge because you know i i, I actually i work for a health system i do data analytics work um full time so this was just something i did like wednesday evening and saturday morning it says this class that i would teach and so through this, we're also transitioning to working from home for uh, for the health system that I work for and obviously trying to deal with COVID-19 and reporting and analytics for that as well alongside all this. And so, you know, that was an interesting challenge coupled with the fact that, you know, when I, uh, I started teaching this class last year and I did a whole lot of lesson planning and had everything built out. So when I was offered the position again this year to teach it again, I thought I have all the material ready should be you know much more straightforward not knowing of course all the adapting that i would have to do in the time investment you know because of the, the situation so trying to just do some time management there was a little bit of a 
um, a challenge. But overall, I think, luckily, I, I love technology, and, and uh, this class is also revolved around technology and healthcare, so it was very timely in that sense. Um, so a lot of, you know, relevance that I could apply to the class. And so for the most part, I didn't have to transition too much, but I did have to keep in mind certain things about we had guest speakers that were going to come to the class. So making sure that they have access to also join the classes virtually and, and present. Um, our exams were going to be, you know, administered in person. So just trying to build those out online and test these tools that I hadn't used before, uh, like the, the Respondus Lockdown Browser, which will restrict students into only utilizing, you know, the exam on Blackboard and not going to other websites, that sort of thing. So it was, it was spending the time to try and test all this stuff out, all these tools uh, that I hadn't had to use before um, and make sure that that went smoothly through this transition. So, I mean, overall, you know, at the end of the day, it actually thankfully went pretty smoothly. Um, and so I think it was just a matter of just trying to look ahead at my schedule and try and, you know, make sure that I, I reached out to the guest speakers ahead of time, built the exams ahead of time, and just really tried to prep and make sure uh, that when the day came for those things that, that everything went smoothly. So have there been like, wait, what, what were you going to say, Anthony? You were going to say something in response? Well, I was just thinking about, um, so we have this meeting where they announced the faculty and staff that were going remote. And while they announced this, I turned to a colleague and I said, I'm going to get so much research done. With all the students off campus, I'm going to be so productive. And, and the reality is, because I thought like it would be an easy thing, I'll log on to Zoom, I'll teach a couple hours a day out of the rest of the time for research. But like my teaching time has probably like doubled, right? Like I've just spent so much more time teaching and I've had zero time for research in the last, you know, five weeks while we've been doing this. Um, and so, and then I think about my colleagues who either have kids that are now homeschooling or they have elderly parents that they're caring for, mm -hmm. right? And you have, we're a very international university. So I have students in Korea, students in Europe, students in the East Coast, West Coast, and all over. And so, you know, and, and they all need attention and you sympathize for the circumstances. And so you want to make accommodations for them. But it means, you know, you're up early in the morning till 3 a.m. answering emails. This last week was finals week. And we did these online exams with the lockdown browser. And I'd spent so much time troubleshooting, doing the geek squad. I felt like, you know, I was now tech support, right? I was, I was doing so much time just doing tech troubleshooting because so many students have different issues they their internet connection died halfway through the exam they got booted out and then they couldn't access it or there's so many issues like this just arose and i'm still teaching summer class right now but it's a much smaller class so i'm grateful for that um but i think what compounds this is the um uncertainty that's surrounded around a number of professional matters for faculty so for instance i had a significant grant um, i was awarded for the summer and I still don't know what that's going to, if it's going to come through or not, because it was tied to doing research with students on campus. And mm. obviously I can't do that component. And so, you know, I, I've been, I'm still waiting here back from the funding agency, but there's these um, other components or a number of universities. This has um, intensified a number of financial challenges the universities have. And, and so for a lot of us who are maybe not tenured or adjunct faculty, you're thinking about job security. You see a lot of the universities right now are talking about, laying off faculty, um, either just on a temporary basis or, or perhaps permanently to make budget cuts. And so there's a lot of big uh, questions of, of job security of, am I even still going to be in this job in a couple of weeks? And so I think that um, intensifies the challenge for us. Yeah, I hadn't, even, I hadn't even thought about the research piece and how that's like, because so many faculty are involved in research. So I can't imagine, especially if you have a lot of students on your research team and then all of a sudden they can't be anywhere near you for who knows how long then it's like so my whole research is on hold halt like what do I do with this that is stressful and a lot of schools get paid because of the research that's done so it's just like they have there's financial pieces involved and there's technological pieces involved and logistics and I think these are these are even things that I hadn't thought of so I can't imagine other people are realizing that there's a lot more going on than what we are seeing or even hearing. Are you guys seeing any forums where teachers have just been like, what are you doing? I have no idea what's going on. I'm making it up. 
you know? I will say I'm part of a, a Facebook group, Music Therapy Faculty, and it's been a really nice way to to get validation <laughs> and see that, no, I'm not just being needy. I'm not freaking out unnecessarily. This is real and it's happening to lots of people. And just also seeing the differences in programs between universities, even if it's in the same subject. So again, going back to what Anthony said, how, how the university as a whole um, and departments are built differently or structured differently. And so the internal mechanisms it might be just different enough where, you know, I, I don't know. Um, yes, as far as forums, yes. But on the other hand, as far as hearing things from my university, because I am just adjunct, it's, it takes a little trail that gets all the way down to me. And then by the time I hear about it, it's like, oh, okay. Right. You just receive it. It's like, okay, that's fine. It's comforting. I can see how it's comforting. It can probably also be very confusing and slightly frustrating trying to just maneuver everything, even if you are reaching out to other lecturers and professors across the nation to see what they're doing. And the the differences in programs probably just makes it a little bit more complicated as well. How has it been for you guys as far as things that are affecting your calendar year? Because I know there's things that, you know, Melody, we we go on medical brigades every year. That's something that has had to kind of play it by ear based on what that country is doing. And um, there are conferences that you're supposed to go on to represent the school and those are getting canceled. And there are CEs where people have to get continuing education and some of those are not, you know, following through. How has that been for you guys as far as your professions and what you have to do to, you know, maintain what you do as a lecturer or a professor. Um, Is that something that has been talked about a lot in your universities or in your situations? Um, I would say that having a virtual meeting is excruciating. You know, (laughs) much of what we do at meetings is the networking and the making contacts with other people. And then that leads into projects or papers or or new new ideas and things like that. So when you remove that piece, it's just sitting in a Zoom meeting for hours. I, I did that for um, eight hours on Monday, and it was horrifying, horrifying. Um, so I feel like when my students say that we don't understand what it's like to do that, I, I think um, indeed we we do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh, the other thing that. And I'd be interested in everyone's opinion on this is I keep getting many, many things um, that talk about what people should be doing with all their free time. And I'm not even really (laughs) understanding that because I haven't had any at this time. Anyone else have this problem? Who has free time? Raise your hand. Oh, oh, no hands, guys. We don't have any hands. What is this free time you speak of? Wait, are I you hearing this from teachers? Feel that in some ways, I've have less time now than I did before. Even cutting out a commute. <laughs> Definitely, like I'm like I would love to do an adult coloring book or a puzzle or something. <laughs> I, I don't know. This goes back to something I actually started teaching my students about behavior chains. And when you think of all the little steps that are involved in one thing, if you're getting on a Zoom meeting. You get up, you log into your computer, you backspace and retype in your password because you rushed through it and you typed it wrong. (laughs) Then you go to your page, then you open the thing, and then you log in. There are so many little steps that you don't realize. Sure, they're they're micro mini as one unit, but you put them together. It's been a learning experience, though. Now you know how to do those things. (laughs) In case of another apocalypse, right? Yeah, absolutely. Totally ready. That yeah, I yeah, I've <laughs> I have been hearing from more from the, I am a student. I'm also an educator for the like elementary school side. So I have heard from students where they're like I'm I'm so bored and, you know, I don't I don't know what to do and I'm going to be here I'm going to be home way longer. So now I'm trying to find these little like 
things to do and teachers are running like crazy to figure out how to make sure that students are just getting their homework or having access to the link that they just created that they don't even know if it's really working um and then the time zones thing and then even uh grace you were talking about students with disabilities that's that's a whole other layer that i don't think people are even thinking about right now so can you touch a bit on that uh sure i can so aside from teaching uh the two courses that i do i I work full-time at the Center for Excellence in Disabilities. And so I, I mainly work with individuals with disabilities um, across the lifespan. And uh, so my work is rooted in disability theory, social justice theory, um, and then my, my own music therapy orientation is more cognitive behavioral, but a little bit eclectic. And in the classroom, college classroom, I, I do have students with academic um, accommodations And so if you think about the things that you might encounter in a typical college classroom, whether um, it's requiring a note-taking device, extra time on tests, transcripts of lectures, videos of lectures, things like that, and you remove all of the in-person interaction and you put it online. So it's it's very different. And and something we were talking about too is the necessity of, of the technological tools has also highlighted resource droughts. In West Virginia in particular, a lot of our you know folks live in pretty rural areas. One of my students had to quote unquote, drive into town an hour and a half away to upload an assignment. And when she told me that, I said, okay, you shouldn't have to do that. Let's figure this out. So it's, it's really been a challenge to make sure that I'm not spoon feeding and I'm not pushing my own boundaries and doing too much, but I am giving enough multiple opportunities um, that work for people. So I'm not sure if anybody else has encountered this, whether it's um, troubleshooting tech issues, whether it's you need to reformat the file or my computer broke and we're on a fixed income and I live out in the middle of nowhere, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Has anybody else encountered any of these issues with students? Absolutely. And uh, just the variety of accommodations for students, be it extra time on exams or um, other kinds of accommodations, and how you do that when you're trying to deliver this all virtually through some of these platforms that aren't, aren't designed with that in mind, right? And so this, um, this does create a huge uh, a challenge to, to continue to provide an accommodation. And I think about the fall, and there's lots of discussion about what higher education will look like in the fall and for that students back on campus. And how do we continue to protect students who may have pre-existing conditions that make them you know, more sensitive to coronavirus high, at a higher risk? And so this is, um, I think part of my, my concern is, I think faculty are gonna be spending so much time this summer getting ready for all the possible scenarios of fall. We're gonna be exhausted before the semester even begins. Right. And so we're going to have a whole fall semester ahead of us. And who knows what it might look like, but we'll still be, we never got a chance to rest from the spring because all fall we've been prepping and, and doing the resolution from the spring and preparing for all the scenarios that, you know, we're going to have an exhausted faculty going into the fall. And so I think one of the things we need to do while taking care of and prioritizing taking care of our students is also taking care of ourselves and being, how can I make sure that sometime this summer I take time to recharge and as much as possible, um, prepare prepare myself to go into to go into that fall semester. Yeah, what are you are you guys doing anything even now to like literally recharge in the midst? I, I mean, some some of you guys have already finished finals, but I don't. You also teach summer classes too. Is there have you guys had any kind of just I need to step away and do something completely unrelated to all of this, or has even having students from different time zones maybe affected you guys in any way? So um, one thing that I do every single day is normally when I'm at work, I eat lunch with a group of colleagues every day. And I keep doing that now. It's the best thing I'm doing on Zoom every day is we just pull up and have our lunch group. And and that's nice, you know, to still be able to connect with those people. Um, I feel like I have that the exact opposite situation of Jennifer and that I'm a 
an extrovert. And so I thought I would hate working from home, but um, I, I feel like I'm getting plenty of interaction with all my Zoom. <laughs> yeah. How about so I'm you, kind of liking it, that part. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Hassan? Is that something that's affecting you or just, you know, you know, you're married and so it's like, how do I just step away? Maybe me and wife time or just, you know, things that you have to at some point kind of take a mental break from even the word pandemic or coronavirus. What are what are you doing to kind of recharge yourself in the midst of everything? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so, well, now I actually have, we've, the, the class has, has finished and I've finished grading the papers and everything so I can sort of breathe a sigh of relief and, and take a little breather at this point. But during the class session, I would definitely try and take time here and there to, you know, watch a movie with my wife or um, I have a YouTube channel. So I'll just do a live stream and I can like talk to people and just kind of get that connection, uh, I think. And so that that's definitely helped as well. Um, just find ways to, cause I'm, I'm sitting at this desk working from home and then I would log into my online class or, you know, be doing lesson planning. I'm just at this desk all the time that I was kind of tired of it. So I wanted to like step out of the room and do something, um, just to, to really take a breather. And, and, um, uh, cause I, even working at a health system, I'm hearing about COVID-19 and then I come and, you know, teach a class about health IT. And so that topic comes up. So you just hear it all the time you just feel like you can't get away from it. So I definitely tried to force myself to, to take some breaks here and there. Yes. Yes. It's so necessary. Um, Anthony, can you touch on what we were talking about earlier as far as like different tools or different ideas that yeah, well, I kind of I kind of feel like Superman. <laughs> okay. Where if if you've watched like a show like Smallville or something, it's like you know the, the story arc. He fights this villain, and in the process of fighting the villain, he like unlocks one of his new powers, right? So right. it's either like the laser eyes, or like he flies for the first time, and or like Batman, like he has some new new tool in his utility belt, and I feel like all faculty right now are superheroes and we're just like unlocking okay. new abilities yes. it's like oh we have these new powers of how we can deliver and how we can educate and it's kind of it's kind of neat it's like we're wonder women and supermen and you know <laughs> and so we can come back and hopefully um, continue to implement those new tools um, my concern though is i think some look at what's going on right now and they're like wow Technology is this really awesome thing to allow us to, you know, deliver education in a more efficient way. And I think sometimes we forget that technology is not a substitute for faculty expertise and human care. And so um, some people see technology as fix-all, especially when you have to make financial decisions and it's like, oh, we don't need so many faculty. We can just use this online system or whatever it may be. Um, but I, I, I polled my students the other day and they are all 100% are so eager to be back in person with that human contact, you know? And so I think sometimes we, um, while it's really exciting that we get to try out all these new tools and we have these new powers that we can, that we can use in our teaching, uh, we, we shouldn't fall into the myth of thinking that technology is a replacement uh, for the people that are behind education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Anthony, I can speak about that too, um, especially with the in-person interaction. The time before and after class was when students could come up to me and ask questions or, um, you know, share share something neat that they learned. And um, I've really been missing that interaction, and I think they have too. So that's a really good point. Yeah, Zoom does not provide a very good way to wait in line to talk to the teacher afterwards because if you wait in line, you wait in line with the rest of the line sitting in on your conversation. And most students don't want the whole class listening to the conversation. So that's been, from the student perspective, that's been, um, I mean, I'm in an online class naturally, but there's there are more questions popping up right now because of coronavirus. And so that sense of waiting in line in a class has amped up in my classes and it feels really weird. So I can't imagine students who have been only doing in person who don't want everyone else to hear what they're talking to the teacher about waiting in line and the rest of the class being there to hear it. And I think it also centers the class very much as like the connection between the professor and students. Mm -hmm. And you forget that so much of learning is between student and students. And there's this whole hidden curriculum 
of the experiences students are having, the conversations they're having in the dormitories, over lunch, the identity formation that takes place when you're part of this group, the, the social bonding, the networking, yeah. and all of that is very becoming very much lost. And while there may be some ways we can try to recover elements of it, it's not the same as being immersed in a scholarly community that's transforming you into this new this new professional identity. Yeah, and I, and I think also, you know, even if you, you try as much as you want to design your online class around that, you're still limited by the, the limitations of technology in terms of Wi-Fi connectivity issues. And, you know, like we would have our online class session in the first couple sessions, you know, uh, some students had their cameras on, but over time that would drop. And it's not something that I could also push because many of them were struggling with connection issues periodically too. And so inherently just by not even seeing each other's faces, you lose out on that connection as well. Um, and so, you know, I would encourage them as much as possible to use the chat feature in WebEx that we use to like even have little mini conversations amongst each other that were semi-related to the class, but just to get that that interaction amongst people. But even then, it's still not going to be ever a replacement for that face-to-face -face interaction. Mm -hmm. Absolutely agree. And music therapy training, that in-person live feedback is so important. Um, the, the two big assignments that had to move to online were in-class labs where um, they facilitate and mock music therapy intervention with their, their peers, you know, role-playing and acting. And under normal circumstances, I could get feedback right in the moment and they could apply that immediately and it would be a learning experience for both that student and their classmates. Um, and while they were able to, while I set it up where everybody could upload a video and then for participation, they had to comment below um, one positive thing. It, it's still, I would still be sending feedback after the fact. So we didn't get to experience those, those little tweaks or touches. Um, and I know that music, um, that my discipline is a little bit um, unique because it involves instrument play and techniques and, and positioning and all that. But I, I know there's, there's gotta be, you know, with, with labs or um, research, those things that you don't get in the moment, right when you need them, there's a latency. Um, and so I'm even curious about what research is gonna come out about the latency <laughs> with this, um, you know, interaction and feedback. Wow. So I think for um, for us, we're we're pretty fortunate in that four years ago we adopted a program where every student gets an iPad. So we feel like they have one tool for sure. Um, and those that stayed in their apartments nearby, you know, have that. But many students have gone home to their their families, which may live in rural areas that don't have good connectivity. But I think the most dramatic thing that I've seen is um, a former colleague went to uh, a community college network and she's like, we're not doing online learning. We are doing a distance program because we have so many students that can't access stuff, you know, because of course, um, you know, you have students that have bigger financial challenges or, or distance challenges when you're in a community college system. So they're actually sending out packets of physical material to students to work on so they aren't getting uh, behind. And I think that's something that in higher education, I hadn't really thought about being an, an issue as much as with uh, K through 12. Right. That's really amazing what teachers, professors, lecturers are doing all across the U.S. and even the globe and trying to do their best to make sure that their students are still getting the best out of their education. And maybe it's not as evident the mental gymnastics you guys are doing in this process to come up with, be innovative about research, you know, bounce off of each other and trying to still allow the students to feel like they've walked out of their college experience, their professional school experience, saying, like, I got exactly what I signed up for. And that's, that is going to be a feat until we figure out this virus. But what you guys have done so far, kudos to all of you. I want to affirm each and every one of you. I want to affirm your colleagues as well, that 
are listening to the podcast that you know are maybe feeling like what they're doing isn't enough it's not smooth they're getting complaints every day but just trust that what you're doing is going to get smoothed out later as you go as you build as you process as you come up with other ideas based on the conversations you have with each other and that's that's the whole purpose of even doing this episode is so that way other educators don't feel very alone in this process or feel like they are completely just they they just feel like they've lost the grip of their classroom and it's it's been a unified feat it really has and so I just want to say hats off to all of you and your colleagues for this um what what advice or words of encouragement do you have for your colleagues or to students who might be listening to this episode who just need to hear from from the educators on 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 this time how about you grace sure i think something that can speak to a couple of those um the reason why we're bending over backwards and changing things is not just to make sure that we maintain the integrity of our coursework and professional profile but our students we we miss them we miss you um and and going back to something that anthony brought up about self-care compassion fatigue is real and uh we're not wanting parents and students to know that we're not just giving you busy work that's the last thing and it's really easy to give busy work online um but, but making sure that you do get the education you deserve um and we want what's best for you and we're trying to make that happen we are so sorry that your spring did not go the way you planned but even though we're apart we're still here for you and and here for each other how about you, Hassan? Yeah, I think uh, Grace said it very well. Um, but I think, you know, the, the biggest thing is just making sure as well that that you have that open line, that connection with your students. So this goes both ways in terms of faculty just, uh, of course, offering whatever ways to connect with students, whether it's you know, via emails, phone line, discussion forums, something to, to be able to, to get that feedback from them and, and see how things are going. And then on the student side as well, don't be afraid to reach out. I know it's it's a little harder as, as we kind of talked about earlier where you can't just get up after class and talk to your professor. But I think faculty are, are, are trying to adjust during these times, but really want to make sure that students' voices are heard. And so, you know, feel free to, to reach out if you do need anything, because I think we're all here to help support you and, and um, you know, ensure that you are, are successful. Absolutely. Yeah. How about you, Jen? I, I second what has already been said, um, as well as showing your humanity to your students. I, I actually took some time prior to all of the online switch because I knew it was coming. I, I mean, didn't have official word or anything like that, but you know, you could observe what was happening and you knew something like this was going to happen soon. And so I took some time and just talked through Here's where you've, the course I teach has a big component on information literacy, one of the courses I teach. And so I talked through, here's good resources for you. Here's um, some things you can share with people. Um, This is what we know about this. This is what we don't know. Um, Just some really good base information and also just, hey, this is what we're dealing with. And then when we switched over, I'd always make sure to, I always ask them how their week is going or how their weekend was. And so I tried to continue that in the online class. It didn't work as well, but instead what I would do is just kind of throw things in the announcements or just talk about things I'd been doing. It was like, oh, hey, this week I learned that I can grind coffee beans in my food processor, so I have coffee again, and it's very exciting. And no one ever said anything about that directly, but just the students seemed more apt to open up after those things were said. And so just showing that bit of humanity that, hey, I'm struggling with this too and learning all of these things was, I think was really helpful. Um, And also to colleagues, just being able to other, other people that you work with, just being 
available and I've had to reach out to other people for help with things that I know I'm not very good at and I've been asked for help on things. Yeah. How about you, Anthony? Yeah, so I want to echo um, what Jen emphasized there about the humanity. Um, I think oftentimes um, when we are in these places of moving higher education to a remote delivery model, we're thinking about higher ed as a product. And so we start thinking of ourselves like an Amazon distribution center. And it's like, we got to get the products out. We have to get it to the household. We have to do it efficiently. We have to have high customer satisfaction. Um, but I think this is not what higher education is. Um, I mean, maybe I have too, too classical of a view of education, but I believe fundamentally um, education is doing something that involves humans. And, and I believe technology at its best it is not a, a substitution for, you know, we can never replace professors with drones. You know, even if we can replace delivery people drones one day. Um, I believe what, what technology does is it frees us to spend more of our energy investing in our students pouring into them, right? And so I think rather than thinking of, oh, okay, technology is going to be the new, no, technology is in the background. That's just facilitating the very human thing that is education. Education should remain a very human thing. And, and so I think that um, as we think about, okay, how do I protect my own humanity in this as a, as a faculty member, as someone involved in educating? How do I respect my students' humanity? How do I view them as individuals who, in addition to need academic support, need emotional support, need to be treated as, as whole persons, right? And then how do I guard the humanity of my institution? Right now, recognizing that my institution may be thinking about how it's gonna transition for the future. How can I make sure it remains a very human place as well? Oh, thank you. How about you, Melody? So I have been amazed and inspired nearly every day by something creative that my colleagues have come up with. So um, I think there's a lot of talk right now about people being essential and we should never doubt that we're essential. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you guys are, you really are. And I, I, I want my, my advice as being on both the education side and from the student perspective is just kind of echoing what Jen was saying that that honesty and that open line of communication that you may or may not usually have with your students I think at this time is more appropriate than ever. I've had professors in some of my public health classes who have decided that we're going to start off each class saying something that's positive, that we're excited about, something that's happened over the week. So that way we can at least start off with something. And then if we really want to talk about something that maybe was negative, but maybe shed it, shed a, a positive, maybe funny spin on it, then we'd share that. Um, but just to give us this ambiance of we're we're literally all doing this together it's not like us versus you or we're up here you're down there there's compassion there's there's connection and i think that level of honesty from my professors has been refreshing to me as a student who sees my world changing and evolving and realizing that i don't i shouldn't be as frustrated with my teachers when they don't get my assignment like you know graded when they said that they were because I know that this is not the only thing that's happening for them anymore. There's so many other things going on behind the scenes. So I even need to give more grace in how I email my teacher or reach out to my teacher or talk or question things from my teacher. And so um, just continue to remember that, guys, that it's this is a heavy confusing time there's a lot of moving pieces that have not stopped moving it may seem like they've stopped moving in some areas but they really haven't and so take it day by day breathe stay connected as best as possible and know that the your educators really really do care and care for you and miss you and still want you to get the best out of the education that you've signed up for um so honestly guys this was an amazing amazing conversation i thoroughly enjoyed it i learned a lot from each and every one of you and i want to thank you guys for taking the time to talk with me about this and to talk to my listeners about 
this to kind of help them process and maybe figure out more things on their end for what they can do for their students and for students to process more of what their teachers are going through. I will get your contact information to put in the description of the podcast so that way if students or other educators want to reach out to you guys, ask more questions, maybe get more ideas that they'll have access to that. And thank you all for listening to today's episode. If there are any other topics that you have heavy on your heart that you would really like discussed here, this is the platform for that. So you can reach out to me on either Facebook or Twitter at First Basel. And if you are an educator and you relate to anything that these educators have said about their experiences and what they've gone through, send those to me so I can read them in a future podcast episode so it feels like we're all kind of learning from each other and supporting each other and connecting with how everyone's processing what we're all going through at this time and you all take care guys uh, I will see you guys soon hopefully post COVID at some point that has nothing to do with the camera that would be great Um, but until then you guys also take care and thank you for coming I'll see you guys soon bye